If you have come to this podcast from other sources like Twitter or Instagram or some of the other places I've been posting little promotions, you'll notice it's a picture with an audiogram and then me saying some random clip that I've chosen from the podcast. Last week I talked about a suit I bought and my opening thought was about syphilis, malaria, and Viagra. Now, what I did was took a picture of a suit and then put the audiogram of me talking about syphilis and malaria over the top of that, and I posted it to Instagram. Now, I have noticed that the things I've been posting on Instagram are getting a lot of likes, a lot of random likes from people who don't follow me, and I think they're not actually checking the content because when I posted the suit, I got likes from several places that clearly care about suits, like Gentleman underscore Classic, or Royalty Tailoring, or Stand Even 1885, or Mark Powell Bespoke. These are all places where I think they actually take suits very seriously. Now, my experience was a very serious one. I was hoping to spread information about suits out there, but the image that they liked had a clip of me talking about syphilis and malaria posted over it. So I'm thinking that perhaps while these are very attractive little promotions, that people might not necessarily be taking in the content before they actually hit the like button. In fact, I am suspicious that it isn't people hitting the like button. Uh, Last week's Ninja News Japan, I posted a cartoon of a man uh, with a jock strap that was shooting a giant beam, but one of the hashtags was GTR, and I got a bunch of car sites liking my post. Now, there is no car in the image. There's no car even in the audiogram. It has literally got nothing to do with cars except for one tag that, because in that podcast, I do talk about a man who drove over the speed limit by like 200 kilometers an hour. So now I'm thinking if I want to be really, really successful, at least on Instagram, all I have to do is like hashtag 50, 60 things, and I'll get a bunch of random likes from a bunch of random sites, and it'll look like I'm having more activity than I am. I actually am not going to do that because I don't care enough about social media, but also I don't want fake likes. I would actually prefer if it was real people who actually listen to the podcast who actually maybe appreciate what I did. As a side note, one of the listeners of the podcast last week sent me a message asking me how much was the suit? So this was a bespoke suit. It was made from scratch. It was, it was the whole thing was done. You heard about all the, the choices and options I had. Just so you know how it works, uh, if you go to the website, the Kashiyama, the Smart Tailor website, it will actually only show you the 70,000 yen and 80,000 yen suit options. That's their selling point. And they are are demonstrating themselves to be a premium brand. When I went to the place, something I didn't actually talk about was the intimidating nature of actually going to the place. Because we walked in and it was all white. It was like kind of a science fiction set from a movie. And they had a woman sitting behind a desk who clearly didn't do any work. She just sat there. She had a computer in front of her that she hadn't touched the whole time we were waiting. We went up and I immediately turned to my wife and I said, we can't afford this. 
He said, let's just go talk to them anyways, because we'd already been to like four places. Then when we went up to the woman who was sitting behind the desk, clearly not doing any work, she asked us if we had an appointment and we didn't. So I, again, I was thinking, oh, we can't afford this. We went in and they had four like bundles. And what they do is they open them up and you can feel the materials and look at the materials. So he said, these are our 80,000 yen ones. Here, here are our 70,000 yen ones. So I opened those up and I touched them. I said, thank you, I can't afford that. Then he opened the 50,000 yen ones and then the 40,000 yen ones. So of course, I was looking at the 40,000 yen suits because I am not a rich man and that's what I can afford. But at least I could get the best 40,000 yen suit I could get. 40,000 yen is the base price. So you have to, again, choose all your options and you can choose like better silk for in the jacket. You can choose uh, all these bonuses and hee-haws and doodads. But what I did was I chose a vest. So I actually got a three-piece suit with a jacket, vest, and pants. The vest actually cost by itself 10,000 yen. So now we're up to 50 and with taxes and everything else, the sum total of my suit was 56,000 yen. So if you translate that into American dollars, probably about somewhere between five and $600. That's a lot of money but it's not a lot of money for a suit that's been handmade for you. The important thing to note is that these kind of tailors, these kind of places that make suits for you in Japan, they often have two for one sales. So I bought one suit and I actually got like a coupon and some points because you have to join a membership program because everything has to have a membership program now. Uh, my plan right now is to wait until they have a two for one sale, get another set of maybe 40 or 50,000 yen suits, apply my coupons to them and try to basically fill out my wardrobe that way. I'm not, I have old suits and I have this new suit, so I'm not in any rush or any need for new suits right now, but there's no reason to spend money that you don't have to spend. Uh, and then my friend Juan said, you know, put a picture of you wearing the suit on the website or Instagram or something, which I'm going to do next time I wear the suit. The problem is it's really hard to take a good picture of myself. So I actually think I will be diminishing the quality of the suit by taking a picture of it myself, but I am going to try. So that will be up in the next week or so next time I wear the suit. I uh, started to get more questions and more random things people sending in. I really appreciate it. It gives me opportunities to talk about the stuff that you're interested in, not necessarily just the stuff that I'm interested in, because we would end up just talking about the Hulk every single week. So I think several times I have mentioned that I am a large-ish man. I'm not huge. But I noticed I'd, uh, you know, be packed on a couple extra pounds that were unnecessary. I'd hit about 95 kilos, which I think is like 200 or 210 or something like that. And what had actually happened is I had quit caffeine. So I'd stopped drinking cola, which was sort of a thing I was drinking basically every day. Uh, my actual concern was caffeine headaches. I didn't want to be addicted to a substance that would give me a headache when I wasn't drinking it or wasn't able to have access to it. So I decided to quit caffeine. I went clean for a couple months and then I noticed I've gained two kilos. So I've actually hit sort of a max weight for my life and I decided, oh, maybe I have to look online. Maybe one of the things I noticed when quitting caffeine was that I got hungry at really odd times. In the first week after I'd quit caffeine, I was like, just eat whatever you want so you feel full and don't actually worry about the effects. You don't want to be in a bad mood all the time. You don't want to torture yourself. The whole point is to get off this drug uh, as seamlessly as possible. So I looked online for things that make you feel full or things that will help you sort of increase your metabolism so that you uh, burn off that extra weight that I've put on. First result, caffeine. The only thing I could think was, God damn it, because the thing I had quit is the thing that was probably keeping my weight slightly below what it had peaked at, if that sentence makes sense. But luckily for me, the second result 
was protein. Now, protein is something I have a lot of. I have uh, the protein powder that I drink after judo. So it's something I have around. And in Japanese convenience stores, they have the Weeders protein yogurt. And actually, I found that one of those makes me feel full for two or three hours. So that's actually a really good supplement. But it led me to a secondary idea. And the problem is, really, I should just not eat and be hungry. Because being hungry for a few hours is not necessarily a detrimental thing. A recent trend has been for athletes and uh, famous bodybuilding people to not eat for about a 10-hour period during the day. So basically, they'll eat for a little bit in the morning. They will not eat during the day. They'll eat a little bit at night and go to bed. And they find that this burn a lot of the fat you have in your body. It kicks up your metabolism and you're starting to actually use everything that's in your system. But I see as being raised in the West that I have actually never been hungry for any extended period. If I've ever felt hungry, my instinct is to immediately go get some food or something to eat to satisfy that hunger. And this is a whole new mindset that I'm trying to play with. My first goal is to extend how long I feel hungry in the hopes that it bothers me less. Because like I said, my whole life, I've never actually been hungry for any amount of time. So I've never gotten used to the sense of being hungry because I'm not in any danger. I can get food at any moment of the day, any day I've been alive. And it will probably continue that way for quite a long time. Really, the fact that I've never not been hungry is the first problem I have to adjust to. If I can do that, then I can start eating less overall by just allowing myself to be hungry. There was a documentary I watched on the internet with some guy who'd cut sugar out of his diet completely, and he talked about the mood swings and all the, all the difficulty of finding foods that he could eat over the course of a month, and he lost an incredible amount of weight, but he had the same thing. He was hungry constantly for a little while because your body is just craving those calories. The result, though is that I'm now back to the sort of weight I was would consider my normal, which is between 90 and 92 or 93 kilos. The thing is, a couple weeks back I got sick, and that's how I lost the two kilos. So for me, the actual most efficient way of weight loss is to get sick and not feel good and not eat, or eat significantly less, and then you just lose the weight as your body like burns it off by creating a massive fever. I'm not recommending anyone do any of the things I've done. I'm just kind of reporting on the results of things people have heard me talk about in the past. But it is an interesting concept that I, I had realized that I have actually never been hungry, properly hungry in my life. Something I'm actually going to try to play with. I don't think I'm going to do the fasting for a full day kind of thing, but I am thinking if I'm hungry, there's no reason not to wait two hours before I actually eat some food and see how my body adjusts to that. It's a Quora question. My son watches videos of games being played on YouTube and most of the time he prefers that to actually playing the game himself. Should I be worried? Now this is a recent phenomenon and like every recent phenomenon throughout all of history, it is confusing to old people. I am also an old person and I honestly don't get why you would rather watch someone play a game than play the game yourself. But let's face it, how is it different from watching TV or watching a movie or playing a game? Because the reason we watch TV is usually for the story or the personalities that we're viewing. Uh, the reason we watch movies, again, for the narrative, for the action, for the adventure. All those elements are included in a playthrough video. So someone's playing a video game. I'm assuming the reason you're watching that specific person play is because they're either really good at the game or they're really good at talking. They aren't going to be pulling you in if they aren't fun to listen to or fun to watch. So 
any sort of narrative you get from television, any sort of entertainment you get from television or movies is actually possible in a playthrough. So the game itself is probably action oriented. So that's where your action and adventure comes from. That's the excitement. You have the emotion of the person playing the games, if they're conveying that well. I tried streaming and the problem wasn't me playing the game. It was me doing any sort of patter while I played the game. Because when I play a video game, I have to concentrate. I actually have to stop and think. I'm a very cautious or conservative player, I guess. So it means I'm not really capable of talking and playing at the same time if I'm doing anything difficult or fast action or sort of high pace. Where I am able to talk to my friends, but then I'm less concerned about how well I do in the game. So if I'm talking to other people, it's fine, but then I'm not going to be winning or doing anything particularly exciting to watch. I don't have the ability to combine those two elements where I know that there are other people who do. People who can play, play at a high level, and can talk and entertain at the same time. But if you actually look throughout history, this has happened multiple times. It's happened when television became popular. Like, should people be spending this much time watching television? Is television bad for you? Should I be worried about my kids watching television? It happened with rock and roll music. As I was looking for anti like television anti-rock and roll propaganda, I, f I came across this clip. Teenage savages go wild in a juvenile jungle of lust and lawlessness. That two-beat pattern is the music brought to the United States of America by the communist conspiracy to corrupt teenagers, and it's in every rock and roll number. But if you go back far enough in history, you're going to find people who panic over the idea of women being educated, people being panicked over the idea of common people reading and learning mathematics. Anything that gets introduced and that is new becomes a concern for the people who are older because they can't understand it themselves and everything they can't understand is now scary and different and wrong, so it shouldn't be done. You should not actually be worried that your kid wants to watch people play video games instead of playing video games themselves. He or she has just found another form of entertainment that you personally don't understand and basically that's just going to continue and I think it's going to happen faster as entertainment by its very nature changes so we get maybe more virtual reality, more stuff through our phones, more new technologies we haven't even thought of yet. Entertainment as a form is going to change and People like myself, who are sort of on the decline in their age, are going to be less and less included, therefore not understand it, and then therefore they're going to think it's a bad thing for other people to do. Because people should only do the things that I do and the things I like so that I can understand them, so that everything's good in the world. What you're doing is bad, and don't do bad things. Don't be bad. If I'm going to give some parenting advice, which again has been kind of an underlying theme of the podcast the last couple times I've done questions... If I was going to give advice to this parent, I would say watch it with them or at least ask them why they find it entertaining. There are lots of things my kids like that I don't like, like entertainment-wise. There's lots of shows they watch that I don't find entertaining. And really, the only thing that needs to be done is for me to ask them why they like it and if they can explain it to me, then pretty much I just have to accept it at that point. But I'm waiting for the next big development. It's going to be like VR or something like that where... Old people who can't do it or don't want to do it or don't like it freak out, think it's the worst thing that's ever happened and it's communist propaganda or some other crap like that. What political philosophy does the Federation in Star Trek follow? Now that's an interesting question overall because you are talking about a planet-wide political system. But therefore it being planet-wide... A lot of the internal stories and drama and conflict has come from people who kind of fight against it. So let's look at the big ideas. They 
as a society have abolished money. There's no more money in the Federation as a concept because they can replicate food and clothes and stuff. They don't actually need to buy anything anymore. Everything is provided for free. That is a communist ideal, but it's the communist ideal that can only be successful if your society is so rich that you can provide for every person to a point where they're actually everyone in society is wealthy. They also provide free healthcare. Having no money means you don't have to pay for healthcare. And they also promote universal equality. Countries have basically been abolished, so there's no individual or group or entity that is above any other entity within the Federation. Species sometimes come to heads about this, where they think they're better than another species. But even then, the rules of the Federation actually dictate that everyone should be treated equally within the Federation. So that, those are all at least very liberal leanings. I mean, you can call it communist, you can call it a lot of different philosophies, but we can say overall, the Federation is very, very left-leaning in its political goals. But the Federation is also very militaristic. If you watch the Star Trek shows, every ship is just loaded down with incredibly advanced technology weapons-wise. And of course, that's for self-protection. But there's no one argues with the idea that Federation people should be armed and that ships should have weapons on them. The Federation has been responsible for acts of genocide. The Federation has been responsible for espionage into uh, other groups, other species that have not joined the Federation. So if you look at it that way, if you have not joined the Federation you are subject to a much lower standard of rules, which actually makes the Federation quite hypocritical. So if you're part of the group, you get all these benefits. But if you're not part of the group, they will actually treat you as a hostile state. Their first goal is always to get you to join the Federation. But if they can't do that, then they pretty much consider you a hostile species or a hostile race, and you will be treated as such. Having thought about this for a minute, I actually think that the actual philosophy of the Federation is quite hypocritical because they don't treat people without the group the same as they treat people within the group. A lot of my friends, and I assume a lot of my listeners are actually Star Trek fans, so if you would like to bring up specific instances, if we can work them in, I would like to actually talk some through. But for some reason, the one that sticks out in my mind is the most is the Pegasus incident, where the Federation and the Klingons had agreed that the Federation would not develop cloaking technology, but what they developed was a thing called phase technology, which actually phased their ships into, into like a sub-dimension or an alternate dimension for a time, which made the ship invisible, which meant it couldn't be attacked, which actually served all the same purposes as a cloak. But the problem was uh, when they'd used the Pegasus to phase back in, Pegasus was the name of the ship, when they phased back in, they phased back into an asteroid killing almost everyone on board. They were clearly using the nomenclature of the treaty to get around the treaty because they weren't developing cloak technology. They were developing a technology that would serve the same function as cloaking. In fact, even better because the ship wasn't there at all. But they were clearly breaking the spirit of the treaty. So if people want to say great things about Federation, I think overall... They have lofty goals, but I think the problem is the core of any group are individuals and some of those individuals are going to do their best to buck the system or cheat the system. I am going to try really hard to not be disrespectful because that is not the intent, but <laughs> so as soon as you say, I'm not going to be racist, but is exactly what I said just now, only a different context. So I, I do not intend to be disrespectful, but I know this is flirting with disrespect. How about that? Uh, Stan Lee recently died. And on the internet, you get a lot of 
tributes to the artist. This is not a new thought for me. The last couple of times sort of famous people have died, uh, video game creators or artists or something like that, there are a lot of tributes that get made by fans who are sad and expressing themselves quite nicely, to be honest. They're expressing themselves, they're putting things on, they're making art and they're posting it on the internet. One of the more obvious ones was all the superheroes going to Stanley's funeral and looking sad. And I think that's wonderful. I don't want to actually diminish that. But the, of course, the only reason I'm talking about it is because I think it should be done a little differently. Because my thought is that Stan Lee might have actually wanted to see all that fan art. He might, while he was still alive, have appreciated this outpouring of appreciation. So I'm not saying don't make tributes to people who have died. Absolutely, you can do that, and you should do that. But maybe right now, if you have someone you admire, who someone's created characters or done something like that, and you're an artist, and you're the kind of person who would make a tribute to them after they had died, it would make a lot more sense to create some sort of tribute to them now while they're still alive and post it on the internet or send it to them so they can actually see it. This, to me, would be that kind of positive encouragement and that showing of love that really just doesn't actually happen enough and could be something that would make the world slightly better. So if you are one of the people who's created a tribute to Stan Lee, I mean, I'm sure he would thank you for that, but think about another artist you truly admire right now and take the time and make a tribute to them and send it to them now while they're still alive. And imagine if they see it, how much better not only they, but both you and they will feel. Because I know... If I died and someone had appreciated something I'd done, I actually would have kind of enjoyed getting that appreciation while I was still around. There's not much to say beyond that because you don't really want to wait until someone dies to show them that you love them. Uh, I was sent a message that I did say Edward II last week by accident in the middle of the podcast when, of course, I was talking about a single individual and that individual was Edward VII, who is king of England for about nine years and fashion icon apparently and very important person i also said waste coast instead of waste coat and that shows just how brutally clean and honest this podcast is because i didn't go back and re-record maybe it actually shows how unprofessional this podcast is because i did not go back and re-record things properly i just let it go hoping that no one would notice but it, since people are starting to call me out on my errors i think it's fair to justify and say yeah i misspoke uh, it's Edward VII, and it's not a waist coast. The whole coast is not around your waist. It is a waist coat with no S. Uh, if you catch any other mistakes or problems, again, feel free to send them in. You might get me to apologize at the end. I didn't apologize. I just said it was right. You know what? I'm not going to apologize. I don't need to apologize. I, spoke, I misspoke. It's not the worst thing that's ever happened. Syphilis. That's the worst thing that ever happened. As a final note, I've started adding more t-shirts to my to merchandising. It is completely unrelated to Velosa Podcast. There is a Velosa Podcast shirt up there. Uh, if you go to www.tpublic.com slash store slash Podcast, you can see the Chunk McBeef Chest Academy of Martial Arts shirt or the Property of Wakame High School t-shirt. Uh, if you don't know Wakame High School, it's a high school from an anime that's really, really old. It's probably the first gag anime made in Japan 
called Sugoyo Masarusan, and it is about a man who has shoulder pads that give him magic powers, and he practices the sexy commando martial arts, which is what the SCMA means. So if you haven't seen Sugoyo Masarusan, look for that on YouTube or try to find copies of it because it is really funny. And if you enjoy it that much, buy the t-shirt that goes along with it. I am not associated, so there is probably some shady copyright going on, but I'm hoping just using the word wakame will not get me sued. So tpublic.com slash store slash podcast. You can see the t-shirts. I am trying to make more if you have any requests or any favorite Japanese anime high schools. If I don't get in trouble for copyright, I would be happy to add it if you have any suggestions. Hey, sexy friend. He's making me his bitch. Thank you for listening. If you have questions or comments, you can tweet at VelociPeter or email VelociPodcast at gmail.com. You can find the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Acast or go to VelociPeter.com slash podcast.